we are we are recording so anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law it's one of like i think any time that somebody's recording your conversation they're supposed to make it known right so that you don't say anything to self-incriminate yourself and you know and then they say i got you on tape you didn't tell me well then it's gone just a little legal stuff for you there but anyway so tonight uh, i like to begin with prayer i know that sister Brittany has a need we want to make mention of tonight anybody else have anything Yes, ma'am. I have a cousin. Uh, she's uh, 55 years old. She's a candidate now for a heart transplant. Yes, ma'am. She goes Friday to start procedures on getting her medication. So I told her I was praying for her. Her name is Tammy. Tammy. She, she's on the list for a heart transplant. Yes, and she's already getting started Friday. Well, praise the Lord. They're going to find the right heart, and it's going to Amen. work in Jesus' name. Yes, sir. A guy named Rex. Yes. Rex. Rex. Okay. Okay, Rex. Yes, sir. Brother Soriano. Uh, pray for me. Yes, sir. I'm going to need a good canal. Oh, okay. I'm in a lot of pain right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Brother Morris and Brother White, why don't y'all reach over and lay hands on that brother right now? You know, he said we're two or three agree. There I am. Amen. And I rebuke that pain in the name of Jesus, and I command your tooth to be made whole, Brother Soriano. By the stripes you bore on your back, Lord, my brother is healed. We declare it, we believe it, and we possess it, Lord. We call those things that are not as though they were because you told us to. Lord, your word never fails, it never returns void. Lord, I pray that you administer to Sister Brittany. Pray that you administer to Rex. You know what that need is before Brother Ash even began to speak of him. And Lord, we're gonna we're gonna intercede on behalf of Sister Cooper's friend that needs that heart transplant. It's gonna be done and it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna work and everything's gonna be well. She's gonna be raised to walk in physical health in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for your blessing and your anointing over this time here together. Anoint our ears and anoint our minds, anoint our spirits to receive your word. Anoint me, God, to declare your truth. Help us to receive it as it is. It's the engrafted word, Lord, and take us deeper in our knowledge of you. And Lord, let us draw closer to you through what we learn here tonight. We ask for your presence and your favor and your anointing to be with us tonight. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all for being here. Did everybody get a new paper? Good deal. Good. We're starting a new segment of classes, weeks three, by the weeks four, five, and six. And so Sister Olivia got us new packets that are ready and ready to be printed out. But, you know, let's, let's not forget our basics. And so I'm going to include the Aleph bit every week. I, you know, again, I just go back to the whole thing that when we were in kindergarten, it comes by repetition. Amen. It's just something that you repeat, you repeat, you repeat, you repeat. So you learn those letters, you learn how they sound, you learn how they look. And listen, I'm, I'm not expecting any of us to be able to leave here after six weeks and, and open a Hebrew Bible and be able to read and translate and all that. But it's just neat to be able to recognize the letters like, because what you'll find is when you do see something written in Hebrew, you'll be able to recognize some of those letters and almost make a guess at what that probably says. Is that fair enough? Amen. And so let, let's begin with the Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet. So Aleph Bet. And without the dot, it's Vet. Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zain, Chet, Tet, Yod, Kaf, or Kaf. And then you have Kaf Sofit. Remember, this is, I'll give you a refresher that when there's a letter that has the same name as the previous letter and it's a Sofit, that, that is how you write that letter at the end of a word. At only at the end of the word, it, ha- it changes how it's written. So that is kaf sofit, 
And then next to that one, we have Lamed, Mem, and then Mem Sophie. And again, in this font, it doesn't look that different. In a lot of other fonts, you can really tell it apart. You'll, you'll be able to tell a lot differently. And then uh, Nun, and then Nun Sophie, Samech, Ein, Pe, or Fe without the dot, and then Fe Sophie, Sadi. Sadi. Look like a righteous person. Looks like somebody praying, right? And then Sadi Sofit. Kof. Kof. Resh. Resh. Shin. Shin. And then Sin. Good. Shin. And Tav. Tav. So somebody want to explain the difference between Shin and Sin? Sin is never right. Yes, Sin is never right. So it never has a dot on the right. It'll always be on that left. And then, so if it has the dot on the left, a shh sound, it's on the right. Okay, very good, y'all. Very good, very good. So let's see, uh, let's see. Uh, who who remembers any of your previous terms? What about if I tell you what it is? Can you maybe translate it for me? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. So. Thank you. It's okay. That's all right. So, so, so think about it, right? Baruch is blessed or blessed be. And then Hashem is the name. It's a substitution for the ineffable name of God, right? When you see Yod, Hey, Vav, and Hey, or Yah, and Way, it's Hashem or Adonai, right? So just remember, Baruch Hashem is bless the name or praise the Lord, basically, if you want to really translate it to, to the English. It's praise the Lord. Um, so tonight we're going to learn a new one. Say shalom, shalom. Alechem. Alechem. And this literally means peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. We're going to learn just a little bit about this. So let's, let's do that again, like Brother Soriano. Shalom, shalom. Alechem. Alechem. Peace be upon you. Alechem. So this is, this is a very, very, very common Hebrew greeting. But it's not, not only a greeting, it is also a farewell. Kind of like if, if you're familiar with anything about Hawaii, aloha means hello, and aloha means goodbye. So shalom alechem is very similar. It's a hello, it's a greeting, and it's a farewell. Kind of wishing like somebody Godspeed. Shalom. And they will often shorten it to just shalom. They won't say shalom alechem necessarily, but shalom more often than not. Um, so, and there's a proper response to this greeting, and it's easy because all you do is reverse the words. So it's Alechem Shalom. So you say Shalom Alechem, Alechem Shalom. And upon you be peace. It's like basically upon you be peace. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't know. Whew. So, a little neat little tidbit here is when you read Luke 10 and 5, this would be the greeting that Jesus commanded his disciples to share when he entered someone's home. They said, when you come into a house, he said, into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace to this house. So literally what he said was, shalom aleichem. When you enter their home, greet them, shalom aleichem. And if they don't receive what you say, shake off the dust off your feet and depart. They don't want your peace. 
So shake that dust off. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yes. So shalom aleichem, everyone. Aleichem shalom. Thank you. Thank you. Aleichem shalom. Yeah, reverse it. Okay, who's ready for some terms? Okay, this first one. This first one. Ma shamecha. Ma shamecha. It means, what is your name? So now you can greet somebody in Hebrew. Shalom Aleichem. Ma shamecha. Peace be upon you. What's your name? <laughs> you can almost have a conversation. How cool. <laughs> So ma shemecha means what is your name? So this next word is Yaakov. Yaakov. Literally, it is Jacob. But his name in Hebrew means supplanter or deceiver. Supplanter or deceiver. You can definitely see that in his qualities of his early life anyways. Okay, we'll learn something really cool about these next two ones as we get into our lesson. But this next one is Yisrael. Yisrael. Yisrael is Israel, literally Israel. But here's what's really, really cool is Israel, Yisrael means contender with God. Or power with God. contender with God or he has power with God and an even deeper more less common definition is governed by God where God rules and reigns that's pretty cool so the next word Israel yeah it literally means a contender with God but a deeper meaning is governed by God they were always supposed to have been governed by God, but they wanted a king. They wanted an earthly king, not a celestial king. And then the next one is Sarah. Her name also means Sarah. 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 Sarah in Hebrew or Sarah in English. Sarah. Her name means also power but also princess princess did you we'll talk about their names in a little bit all right this next one yosef because remember in hebrew there's no j yosef yeah. joseph but this is what's really cool. So his name is transliterated Yosef, translated Joseph, but it means the Lord has added. The Lord has added. Has added. I know in our Bible it says the Lord is our righteousness. So the Lord is the Lord is salvation. No. God is salvation. That's that's. No. What is it in ours? So Yeshua, right? Jesus. That's salvation. Jesus is salvation is Joseph. And Yahashua, Joshua, in the name of Joshua, is the name of Yeshua. That's the one I was thinking about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Sorry, we forgive you. 
Okay, so Joseph means the Lord has added. This next one is one of his sons, Manasseh. 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 We'll talk about their names later. I'm not going to give you their definitions yet. Manasseh? Manasseh. Like the tribe of Manasseh. But if you look, okay, this is, this is another really kind of interesting thing about Hebrew. As is, is you look at these next two especially, you'll notice that in Nashah, our next term, there's three letters that are the same letters that are in Manasseh. Manasseh. So Hebrew basically works off of a three-letter system. Or almost all of their words are three letters and then you change the beginning like the prefix or the suffix and it changes everything so they, they work off of three letters so it, it's that way with Yisrael it's that way with Sarah and we'll talk about that but if you look at Manashe and then you work at the next word Nasha which means to forget you'll see you'll see the Nun the Shin and the He to forget to forget so what Manashe means Manashe we'll talk about it oh that's what he used Nasha is the Hebrew word to forget. Nasha means to forget. <clears throat> to forget. Well, I'll tell you. It's not Nasha is not a name. No, it's not. It's but that word Nasha is in Manashe. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, Ephraim. 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 His name is Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. I don't even know how to say it. Is that how you say it in English? <laughs> I know in Spanish, Ephraim, right? Brother Ephraim in Spanish. E-P-H-R-A-I-M, just like it is in Hebrew, just no hyphen. Okay. And then in his name, there's this other three-letter word, pri, which means fruit. Fruit. Pri is what? Pri. P-R-I, that next word after Ephraim is pre fruit. 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 All right. I'll get to there. I'll tell you. Yes, sir. You'll see. I'm going to get there. Ephraim, no, not yet. I will in my lesson. I will in the lesson. All right, who's ready? Who's ready? Okay, here we go. So, I want to talk about this Mashamecha for a little bit. I'm going to read you a little bit of Bible. Just to kind of give you context. Do you want to read in Hebrew? I'm not. <laughs> no, sir. I'll read in English so we can all be edified. <laughs> I don't want to speak in tongues myself and my only self be edified. I want everybody to get edified tonight. Amen. <laughs> Sister Cooper liked that one. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that's not just a pity laugh. I hope you really thought that was funny. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we're going to look at Genesis 32 and 24 if you have your Bible. This is a really, it should be a pretty familiar portion of scripture to us. This is where Jacob gets his name changed. Genesis 32 and we'll start with verse 24. Genesis 32 or Bereshis. Bereshis. Bereshi's 32. I haven't got my numbers. I think I'll learn that next semester. Maybe. Praise the Lord. Are we ready? I'm going to go. So it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. 
And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, Yaakov. And then he said, "Um, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, no more Yaakov, but Yisrael. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So there is Jacob. He's alone. Okay. He has sent the, the people that are traveling with him, his wives, his kids, everybody across the river Yavuk, Y-A-B-B-O-K in English, it's Jabok, but in Hebrew it's Yavuk. He has sent them across this river, which literally means a pouring out. So he gets to this place, man, he gets to this place where he wrestles with an angel and there's this pouring out of Jacob. There's this pouring out of this old Jacob. Okay, this ridding of self, basically, where he's wrestling with this theophany. Okay, and um, and so, you know, last week, I don't know if y'all remember two weeks ago, I was hoping that they would be here tonight, but she's not. But she asked a question about why would God choose somebody that was this way? Sister Charity did. Why would somebody choose Jacob that's a liar and a cheater and all of the? Does anybody remember? So anyway, she asked that question. And so tonight we answer the question. I didn't address it then, but tonight we will. And it's because this is what what happens is um, because God doesn't see what we are, but he sees what we will become. He doesn't call you based on your own merit, but he calls you based on what he can do with you and your willingness to allow him to do it. Amen. And so he sees Jacob, this liar, cheater, deceiver, supplanter, and he says, I'm going to use that one. Why? Because he was eager. Right. He was eager because he didn't just want the blessing. He wanted the true birthright to where he could be the leader of God's people. He didn't want just the, the, the tangible things like Esau did, but he wanted to be the leader of Israel. He wanted to be the leader of God's people. And so God sees that. And so God basically finds this supplanter and he's wrestling with in Hebrew it's Ha-Melach, the angel. Ha, H-A means the, H-A means the in Hebrew. Like Hashem is the name. So you have Ha Melach is the angel. And Melach is M E L A K H. Ha Melach. So he's wrestling with this angel who tells Yaakov, Let me go. And of course, Jacob, always seeking a blessing, he says, No, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I've got the blessings of man, but I want the supernatural blessing, is what he's saying. I've got the birthright blessing from my father, but I want the blessing from my father. He's saying, I want this. I'm not going to let you go. How, how, how should we be in prayer? That, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you touch me. Amen. And so here's this guy. He's wrestling with Hamelach, and, and he asks for this blessing. And the angel asks him his name. He says, Mahshemecha, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. So what Jacob is saying, I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. I'm a cheater. I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm no good. And the angel says, no, that's not your name anymore. That's not your name. He says, now your name is Israel. Now your name is a prince with God. Now your name is contender with God. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
You're no longer a cheater. You're no longer a deceiver. You're a, you're a man that now walks with God. He gave him a new identity. Gave him a new identity. His angel says that now you may have used to have been those things, but you are no more. Now you're a man that is a prince and has power with God. And there is the blessing. And his name change and his character change. Because the blessing is in that name change. And with his name change, there is a character change. Because you can no longer look at him the same. Because as you see him go forward, he's no longer a liar, cheater, stealer, supplanter. Amen? So look at Genesis 49, 1 and 2. And and this is basically where he is now on his deathbed or approaching his deathbed. And and he's brought into Egypt and he meets Joseph's sons. And he's pronouncing these blessings and basically curses upon his children, telling them what's going to happen. Okay, and so Genesis 49, 1 and 2, it's very intentional what he says here. And, And listen to the names. And Jacob called unto his sons. Okay, he's already had the name change. Remember, that was... 20 some chapters ago but it says and Jacob called unto his sons and he said gather yourselves together that I may tell you which shall befall you in the last days gather yourselves together and hear you sons of Jacob but he says and hearken unto Israel your father what he's telling them is you right now you're the sons of Jacob You're still liars, cheaters, deceivers, supplanters. But I don't want you to listen to the man that I used to be. I want you to listen to the man that God has now made me to be. You heard Yaakov, but now hearken to Israel. Hearkening and hearing are two very different things. Because hearkening in it includes obedience. Hearkening means I've not only heard what you said, but I'm going to do it. We talked about it even if I don't understand it. I'm going to do it. He says, don't, don't worry about Yaakov, who I used to be. You're still his sons, but come and listen to Yisrael. Come and listen to the man now that is governed by God and led by God and walks with God. Hearken to him and pay attention to what he's going to tell you so that you can lead these people. Mm. Now, I want to point out something interesting I mentioned before about the name of Yisrael. In the name of Sarah. So if you look, if you want to go back and flip to those names at, at the front there, if you're not there, go ahead. So look at Yisrael and look at Sarah. And you'll notice that there are two common letters that appear in both of their names. So who was named first? Sarah. Sarah was first, right? And then now Yisrael gets his name. He was Yaakov. Now he's Yisrael. So look at what God does. He takes the name of his grandmother and puts it on his name. He says, she was Sarah. Now you're Israel. And if you say it, you can hear it. Israel, Sarah. Israel, Sarah. So now you were this cheater, liar, deceiver. But now I'm putting the mantle of your grandmother on you. You, you were wrong, you were wretched, you were undone, but you had a praying grandmother. Wow. And yet don't think it's, do you think it's interesting, right, that Sarah was where? In the tent. When, when the angels came, Abraham said she's in the tent, of course. 
Esau was a man of the field, but where was, where was Jacob? In the tent. He was already in the tent. So that name, you can see the sin and the resh, the S and the R that are in those names. And so now it's implanted not only in his name, but in his nature. That he gets that mantle from his grandmother, this prayer, this praying warrior. This woman of God now is this man of God. And, and so there's this relationship now. Who Her name, of course, we said means power or princess. And so now that nature gets embedded into her grandson, Jacob. And so now if you listen to what it sounds like, Sarah, Israel, it's where we get the English name Sire. Sire. Which, or the Russian word Tsar is from the same word, Sarah, Tsar, a Russian Tsar, like, you know, like they're, they're leaders and people in charge and the people that are in power. A Tsar, right? They can't, that comes from the Hebrew word Sarah. Power. Power. And even, now listen to this one, even the name Caesar in the Roman Empire is from her name. She had that much power and influence. Wow that they named him Caesar. And that's powerful. Pun intended. Hmm. Powerful. So now, this name now makes a connection between Sarah and Israel. It makes a connection beyond just being the grandmother and the grandson. Because what it does, it, it connects them. I already mentioned that he was in the tent when Esau was in the fields. That's not by coincidence or by happenstance. He was already dwelling in the tent. And this tent was passed down from his grandmother to his mother. And we'll talk, I'm actually excited because we get to finish talking about that tent tonight. I didn't know if we would, but tonight we can. And so, so there is the blessing that he was looking for. As he gets the mantle from his grandmother put upon him. That's the blessing that he was seeking. He didn't know it, but that's the blessing that he got. And so now the anointing that she had in this walk that she had is now passed to him. That's the blessing. So now Yaakov, Israel, he's got a new name and he's got a new walk. But here's the problem. Israel is not sure about Esav. Remember the last time Yaakov saw Esav, Esav wanted to kill him. And so, so his mom sent him away. All right, go away. You better run. Go. Go, 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 run, run, run. Don't come back. Just take your stuff and go because your brother is going to kill you because you stole his blessing, right? So, so he's now at this point many years down the road, but he's not sure how Esau's doing. Jacob's been changed. Jacob is Israel. He's met with God. He's got a relationship with God. He's a changed man. He's no longer a liar, cheater, supplanter, deceiver. But who knows about Esau? Who knows what's happened, okay? And so... Um, I want to read another bit of verse, verses for you. Genesis 33, 1 through 4. Is this okay tonight? Genesis 33, 1 through 4. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came. Uh-oh. <laughs> and with him 400 men. Even more, uh-oh. He divided the children, Jacob did. He divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel into their two handmaids. So he basically split into four troops. So he's like, man, if they get the first one, the last three can 
hightail, get out of here. Because we don't know where we're going to run into, right? And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph endermost. And he passed over before them and bowed him. Listen to what it says. This is, Is this is Yaakov or Israel. He goes before all of the women and the children. He passes over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So he's basically approaching his brother, bowing to him, showing deference, right? It says, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So Jacob bows to the ground to show this reverence to his brother and Esau runs to meet him, embraces him and they weep. This younger brother, whom the older brother was supposed to serve, humbles himself before that brother. Okay. And there's this kiss of reconciliation. And you'll see the same thing when you read later on in Genesis, when Joseph's brothers come back out of Egypt and they were afraid that he was going to kill them. As soon as their dad died, there's this kiss. It's a kiss of reconciliation. And so um, instead, Joseph kissed them. And, and that, that, that kiss shows, what, like I said, reconciliation. It shows mercy, but it also shows unity. And so Luke 15, it's like the prodigal and his father, right? Where the, the dad sees this prodigal from a far way off. He says, I will arise and go to my father, the prodigal says, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and no more am I worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him, saying, you're still my son. Gave him a kiss and showed, no, you're reconciled. I don't hold what you did against you. You're reconciled. And, and I just feel like I need to say this because it's interesting when you see the father fell on him. It's the same terminology that we use in Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. It's this father falling upon them who were unworthy and undeserving. That the Holy Ghost falls on them. And literally, it's like if you would picture this dad and his son and the, the father falls on him in an embrace. That's what happens when we get the Holy Ghost. We, we were so unworthy, so undeserving. But we come and there's this kiss of reconciliation between us and our Father. And he falls on us. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But yet, at the same time, it, it you know, this is... Um, Actually, so when, when you read the epistles, Peter, Paul, and John, oftentimes you'll read, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's not, you know, a lot of cultures do a kiss on the cheek. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, hey, make sure that you can salute your brother and have nothing between you. Salute your brother and make sure that there's mercy between you. Make sure there's reconciliation between you. Make sure that y'all are walking in unity is what they're saying when they say greet one another with a holy kiss. Make sure that you've been reconciled and everything is restored and that there's nothing wrong. That's why Jesus said, if you have aught with your brother, don't bring your gift to the altar. Leave your gift there. Go reconcile with your brother, then bring me your gift. He's saying, go greet your brother with a holy kiss. And you can't greet him with a holy kiss if he's not reconciled. And so he's saying, make sure that this is first and foremost amongst you. Right? How are they going to know you're my disciples? By your love, one for another. That's how they're going to know. And so this is what they're teaching is saying, hey, make sure that you have nothing wrong with between you and your brother. And if you do, you get it right. You get it worked out before you come and worship me because I don't want any part to do with that enmity that you caused. I want you to be reconciled. 
I want you to be able to greet one another with a holy kiss. Amen. And so then we, we see that um, in Luke twenty two forty seven though, it says, And while y'all yet he spake, behold, a multitude, and that was and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto him to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? This kiss means that we're in good standing. This kiss means that we're in unity, but you're betraying me by kissing me. putting on a show for these guys, these disciples by coming and kissing me but I know because I'm the one that sent you away to do the work whatever you're going to do do it quickly and you're betraying me by this kiss because we're not reconciled Judas you've got nothing in me the prince of this world had nothing in me is what Jesus said right but he came and he gave him this kiss and he said you betrayed me because this kiss is supposed to be a holy kiss. This kiss is supposed to show that there's mercy here and there's grace here and there's compassion here and there's reconciliation here and that we're together, but you're at odds with me here. Hey, we've got to be able to greet one another with a holy kiss. That is the job and function of us in the church is to be able to say, I can greet my brother with a holy kiss. I can greet my sister with a holy kiss because I don't have enmity with him. We're not at odds. You can disagree and still be in unity. Amen? Amen. So you can be reconciled with a kiss or you can be betrayed with a kiss. So I want to fast forward. Israel, we know, obviously had sons. Apparently one of them is his favorite. Who wants to guess who that favorite was? Joseph, Joseph, yes, Joseph, Joseph, good job, Sister Jolene, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, because Joseph gets this coat, this coat of many colors, which as we mentioned last time, a lot of people believe that it's the same coat of skins that God made for Adam, it was passed down from generation to generation, stolen, brought back, and now given to Joseph, because this, this coat Represented the mantle basically, and it represented that whoever had this coat is the patriarch of the family. And so, here at the time, the youngest gets this coat. And I mean, I, I've thankfully my parents have always treated us equitably and not showing favoritism to anyone or the other. But I can't imagine, I mean, you could kind of get a sense of how Joseph's brothers might feel, right? Especially when you're the oldest and you might feel entitled to getting that birthright and getting that mantle and everything else. And they see this young one that gets this coat and he's the favorite. Yes, sir. So is that why they were angry and destroyed the coat? Absolutely it is. Absolutely. That's what they, they hated that coat. But he, they, the Bible says that they were envious of his dreams. They were because they I'm going to tell you right now. It, they were envious of Watch it. this. This is what happens. Okay. So apparently this blood-covered coat that he gives to Yosef, it's a mantle that's passed from one dreamer to another. Because remember, when his daddy got that coat, he laid up a pillar and had dreams and visions. Yes. And now this younger son gets this coat, and immediately he begins to dream dreams. Yes. And he starts telling his brothers, hey, I had a dream that you were going to bow to me. So now not only you stole my coat... 
you stole my blessing, but now I'm going to bow to you? I don't think so. I mean, you can see how that would go down, you know? And so they hate him for it. They hate him. And so these dreams create an issue for him, obviously. And these brothers conspire to get rid of who they call the dreamer. They want to get rid of him. Let's get rid of this dreamer. They didn't even call him Yosef anymore. They call him this dreamer. Get rid of him. Won't even call him by name. And so we know what happens. He's sold into slavery. He's taken by some Ishmaelites and sold into Egypt. And he's bought by a house, as a house slave by Potiphar. And he's greatly trusted by Potiphar so much, in fact, that Potiphar makes him the overseer of all of his house. Because everything that I'm in charge of, Joseph, it's yours. It's in your hand. You take it. You're in control. And well, his wife thought that meant her too. Right? But here's the thing. When, when she is a woman of authority and power, and so she thought, because she probably had before, had her way with house servants. But not with this one. Because I cannot do this sin against my God. What's interesting is the commandments have never been given. Not yet. And he already knew it was against God. Because God puts that in us. He puts it in us. We know what's right and wrong. Amen? And so he's overseer and his wife throws herself at him. And he rejects her advances. And because she's never been rejected or dejected before, she doesn't know how to respond. And so she says, okay, fine. This guy's trying to make, you know, trying to rape me over here. He, look, here's his coat. I've got it. I've got his clothes that my, my husband gave him. He's making a fool out of me. Okay? So she has him arrested and, and imprisoned. And now here's a very interesting angle on this story that I never considered until I took my course. Is that this. Is that in this culture, if Yosef was in fact caught in the act of adultery... Which for all intents and purposes, he was because she said so. That's all it had to be. She was in such power and authority at her word, he was guilty. So in that culture, Potiphar would have had every right to immediately put him to death. That immediately hang him on the gallows and make an example of him. I think Potiphar knew something. I think Potiphar knew. Why didn't he kill him? Because he knew it was his wife's inclination to do this with house servants. And so to save his reputation and to save her reputation, he couldn't leave him unpunished. And so rather than kill him, he cast him into prison. And so because there had to be some kind of punishment, he couldn't just go free. And so even if they were empty accusations, he had to make an example, right? Because here's Potiphar, basically second in command. And here's this guy supposedly taking advantage of his wife. He couldn't just let him get by scot-free. There had to be a punishment. Um, so he's arrested. And then, um, so of course, when he's in prison, he continues to dream dreams. Okay, he's dreaming these dreams and he's exalted. He's forgotten and he's remembered again. And, and he's called upon to interpret dreams for Pharaoh, which leads him ultimately to his release. And then he's exalted to a place of great power again and authority, second only to Pharaoh himself. And then catch this little detail in Genesis 41 and 45. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zathanath Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. He gave him Potiphar's daughter. As a, as a reconciliation, basically, or a consolation, I guess. Pharaoh gives him, gives Joseph, Potiphar's daughter to wife. And it's like Potiphar said, I did that, Joseph. Have my daughter. Take my daughter, Joseph. 
I did wrong by you. Have my daughter. I'm sorry. Okay? And so, and then and it says, um, Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So through this union, there, of course, are two children that are conceived, Manashe and Ephraim. And we'll talk about them more in a little bit because those names are very, very significant. So we know that then there is a subsequent famine that follows because of this dream that Joseph told Pharaoh, this is going to happen. There's going to be a famine and you're going to have to store up and all these people in the world are going to come to you and you're going to basically be their savior. Okay. And so through this famine, it, it brings Joseph's family down to Egypt. And now here's just another little side note for your consideration is where has Yaakov Avina, where has Jacob been during this whole ordeal? And all of this stuff that's happened to Israel, or to Yosef rather, where has Yaakov been? I mean, don't you think that maybe Yosef would have tried to reach out to his dad? Do you think that maybe he would have attempted to contact him? Because he knows it was his brothers that betrayed him, that tossed him in that well and then sold him to some Ishmaelites, right? But yet he knows that when he described this dream to his father, his father questioned it. Will I and your mother also bow down to you? So could it be that Yosef, for all of these years, thought that his dad had something to do with it? That his dad planned and plotted and schemed with his brothers to have this done? We know from the outside looking in that's not the case, but put yourself in Yosef's shoes. In the last conversation you had with your dad, he questions your dreams. He says, am I going to really bow to you? And then your brothers sell you off. Just a thought. So... Right. Where has he been for these 22 years? Where has he been? But I'll tell you, the Bible says for 22 years, his dad, his dad sat in sackcloth. His dad for 22 years sat in sackcloth, mourning the death of Yosef. So Yosef thought that his dad was part of the plan, but his dad had no idea. He thought he was dead because his brothers told him that, a, that the animals basically ate him and that he's dead. He's gone. So for 22 years, this poor father has thought, basically known beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my youngest son that I love, the one that I gave this coat to, is now gone. I talk bad to so for man, could you imagine that being your last conversation? And then he dies. So for 22 years, this poor father has mourned him and thought him to be dead. So let's go forward a few verses here. Genesis 45, 24 through 28. So he sent his brethren away. They departed and he said unto them, See that ye fall not out of the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And it says, And Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. For 22 years he's been dead. Now these brothers are saying, hey, Joseph's alive. <clears throat> they told him all the words of Joseph, which, had said to, which he said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, it says the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. I see these wagons. It's enough. I know. I know my son is alive. I will go and see him before I die. In verse 27, this English word, wagons. It's the Hebrew word agalot, A-G-A-L-O-T, agalot, which connects this to this ancient Jewish law that predates the law. 
it's a cultural law that they had of hospitality, basically, but yet it's very much incorporated into this culture. It is, it's the law of hospitality. It's called the EGLAH, E-G-L-A-H, EGLAH, E-G-L-A-H, ARUFA, A-R-U-F-A-H. So it's the EGLAH, ARUFA. Literally, it means the beheaded heifer. The beheaded heifer. Like the beheaded cow, beheaded heifer. It sounds strange. I see the looks, but let me explain. So there's this principle behind this law that a person is responsible for whatever happens in their domain. That whatever happens in my sphere of influence, I'm responsible for it. And so outside of those areas, even where I'm out of full control, it's still my responsibility. If it's kind of in no man's land, right? Between these two places, right? You know, when, when they set up the tribes of Israel and told them where to go and they gave them these cities of refuge and different things and they made sure travelers had what they needed to make it through their journey, this is that law. So it's basically saying, if I'm going to send you away to somewhere, I've got to give you provision to make it there. Or else if you don't, that's on me. Even if it happens outside of my sphere of influence. Even if an animal gets you between these two cities, I didn't provide you what you needed. Your death is on me. Okay, so they they would have to basically if that traveler was found murdered out in the field, the elders of that nearest city go out there and they bring this Egla Arufa, this beheaded heifer to make atonement for that crime, even though it occurred basically outside of their jurisdiction, because nevertheless, it was their responsibility to send that traveler off with the provisions sufficient to make it and the protection. And so there is this deep significance to what Joseph sends his father I know what I'm going to say, so I feel the Holy Ghost already. But there's this message that he sends them. Is there is this law that Yaakov would have taught to Yosef. This Egla Arufa about taking care of travelers. That are going to go out beyond your control, but you've got to give them enough to make the journey. And so the message to him when he sees these wagons is, Father, I've not forgotten what you've taught me. This is Yosef. I remember those times sitting by and you told me about the beheaded heifer and taking care of the travelers and sojourners. So here are wagons full, Father, to bring you to where I am. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's why his spirit was revived. That's why his spirit revived. He saw the wagons. He saw the provisions. And this is what it's telling him. He says, I've been exiled from that sacred environment of your home, but I've not allowed my soul to travel down to Egypt. I've held on to my roots. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm still a Hebrew. He said, I'm not allowed my soul to travel to the spiritual no man's land without provision. I've not abandoned it to a spiritual death with the justification that this is beyond my element and outside of my control. I'm not yielded myself to it because it's outside of my sphere. And he says, and this is the only way that I can deal with this. Here's your provisions. So after 22 years of slavery, imprisonment, and then political power and prestige, I'm still the same Yosef that you sent away 22 years ago. 
that left your home and we studied these laws and it was that message that revived his father's spirit. I'm the same Yosef. I've not allowed circumstances to change me. I've not allowed my environment to change me. And we should be like that, amen? As his children, we should not allow the environment to change us. But we should be able to send him the Egla Arufa that says, Father, I'm still yours. I'm still the same. I've not succumbed to my environment. Well, actually, if I can just explain that, when you read that, that's in the context of giving. There's no guarantee that if you raise your kids right, they're going to follow you. That, that is about giving. You train up your child to give, they're going to give. Read the first verses and before it and behind it. It'll give you better explanation. It's not about just raising your children. We do, but it's, but there's no guarantee that they're going to follow it. That's true. That's true. I mean, that you could just look around and you know that that's a fact. That just because you walk with God doesn't mean your kids are going to walk with God. Otherwise, it would it would make that vo- that verse null and void. It would nullify it if that's what it meant to be. Yes, ma'am. changed his name, Zaphanathaniah. He said, I'm still Yosef. I'm still Yosef. So these words of Yosef came with this symbol that brought back a memory that these were Egyptian wagons, but with Hebrew provisions. Yaakov sees these wagons and he revives. So I want to talk about... um, this whole thing. So I made several mentions of it about Sarah's tent, right? Ohel Sarah. And um, it's a very, very significant place in scripture. Okay. This tent that was passed from matriarch to matriarch, from Sarah to Rebecca to Rachel. And I listened to the words of Yaakov, Genesis 48 and 7, again, on his deathbed. He says, and as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan, in the way. That means while we were traveling, Rachel died. When yet there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. So here Jacob is calling to remembrance Rachel's death. And where that tent stopped, because it was Rachel's tent now. And he's telling us where it stopped. He says, I came from Padan. Rachel died in that journey, and I buried her in a place called Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. So in Micah 5 and 2, you read of the same place. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, it's the same place. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So I mentioned in our lessons that the Jews keep meticulous records. And just, I mean, just look at the book of Numbers, and, and I think you'd agree, they keep great records, phenomenal records, meticulous records. 
And so these details and things that they recorded about just the measurements and the tapestries and how many of this and how many of this and, and who did what and their lineages. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it might bore us sometimes when we're reading that, but just think about it from a detailed perspective, just how detailed it really is and how much their notes they had to have kept and records. And so they, these people keep good books, right? And so while we celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas, I don't think any of us would say that that's really when he was born. I think we all know better, right? We know that that's just a time that was arbitrarily selected and it coincides with different festivities and different things. And we say that that's Christmas. It celebrates his birth, but it's not the right day, right? It's what we celebrate it for, but it's not the right day. So we suppose that no one really knows when that is. Most people say, I don't know. Sometime in the 12 months of the year, I don't know. Well, we're going to learn tonight when that is. In our mind, my mind when I learned this was like, okay? So let's look into something. We're going to back into this. So we know from the Gospels that Zechariah was ministering when that angel appeared to him. So we know he was carrying out, executing the priest's office in the temple the day the angel appeared. And pronounced the birth of John the Baptist to him. It was that day that Zechariah lost his ability to talk. He went mute. So the Jews know exactly what day that was. Because they keep great records. So they know that from that time. Then the conception of John the Baptist. Then four or nine months to when he's born. They know when Elizabeth and Mary would have met together. With the Messiah in her womb. And John the Baptist leaving in her womb. And then so basically it puts us 15 months from the time the angel appeared to Zechariah to the birth of Messiah, which would have been middle of September. It's mid-September. And so in our second meeting, I talked briefly about the feasts, right? And I talked about how Jesus is the lamb that was slain. He is our Passover. Okay, so he fulfilled the Passover by his sacrifice. The next feast is unleavened. The next day, unleavened. Nothing rises without leaven, so he can't come out of the tomb on that day. Nothing rises, not even Messiah. Okay? The next feast is first fruits. The Bible talks about Jesus being the first fruits of our resurrection, right? Okay, the next feast is Passover, or Pentecost, rather. And so that we know 50 days after Passover commemorates the giving of the law in Sinai to Moses. And he went up on that mountain and got the law. God said, not on tables of stone, but on the fleshy table of your heart, brother Ken, I'm going to write my law. So the Holy Ghost gets poured out and he writes the law on us from Pentecost. Okay. Man, when he resurrected, though, that's first fruits. He's the first fruits. I think I said that, right? He's the first fruits of the resurrection. 50 days from Passover is Pentecost. The law gets written on our heart. Okay. Jesus is born mid-September. It's another feast. It's another festival. And it celebrates their exodus from Egypt and their dwelling in tents. It's called Sukkoth, which comes from a Hebrew word, sukkah, which means tent. Okay, so it is during the Feast of Tabernacles that our Messiah is tabernacled. In a tent of skin. That the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That literally the word of God became tinted on tabernacles to fulfill tabernacles. He put on a tent of flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among his people, just like he did in Exodus. And the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire 
this uh, sukanu is what it says in Hebrew, comes from sukkah, that this word made flesh and now dwelt among us. So that place where Rachel is buried and that tent dies is where Messiah becomes tabernacled. So they had this tent of meeting, right, where the matriarchs met with him. And now he's got a tent that he meets with us. No, he was born at the same city where that tent stopped. In Bethlehem, Ephrata, is where Messiah was born, right? It's the same place where that tent stopped. His tent begins. The new tent with humanity begins. Yes, sir. We'll see. Man, we're going to run out of time. I hope this is okay. So back to Manasseh and Ephraim. We're going to get there. Okay. So these two sons that are born to Yosef in Egypt, their names are very, 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 very significant. Manasseh means causing to forget. Causing to forget. And Ephraim, Ephraim comes from that word pre, which we discussed, means fruit. And when you see I am on the back of a word, what does that make it? Makes it plural, right? Or it just means great. So what his means is, his name means doubly fruitful. Ephraim means doubly fruitful. Doubly fruitful. So they na- their names, listen to this, their names convey this message for Yosef's life. That God has caused me to forget my past and made me doubly fruitful. He calls me to forget where I came from, but has blessed me and doubly made me fruitful. That he causes forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Make me fruitful. Help me to be forgetful and make me fruitful. So come sometimes... We can't be fruitful until we become forgetful. That we've got to be able to forget some things before we can be fruitful in some things. Amen? Man, I want to hurry. Okay, I want to get this done. Genesis 48. We're going to hurry. Y'all mind? Genesis 48, 8 through 14. So Israel beheld Joseph's sons, and he says, who are these? Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them unto me. Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself to the face of the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand. Listen to this. This is important. He took Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand. He took Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, because he's putting the oldest at his right hand. 
to get the right-hand blessing versus the left-hand blessing, okay? And he says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon his head. And he laid it, he takes his left hand upon Manasseh's head. So he's like this, praying for these, giving this blessing, okay? Guiding them hands, he said wittingly, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was firstborn, but he put the left hand upon Manasseh. Why? Right. Versus left hand. Yeah. So he puts the left hand on Manasseh, the right hand on Ephraim, and look what it is. It's the cross. It's the cross. So it's in the cross that there's this adoption because these are no longer Yosef's sons. These are now Israel's sons. That's how they became tribes because it should have been Yosef that was a tribe, not Ephraim and Manasseh. So now through the cross, these are adopted. They get adopted because of the cross, right? And what he's saying is there's a picture of this new birth because what he does is he gives preference to the second birth rather than the first birth. He takes the blessing of the right hand on the second birth. I'm telling you, the gospel is everywhere. 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 I think we're out of time. I got more, but we're out of time. I got more. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, before we go, want to pray for, uh, we're going to receive our offering. Want to pray for our departure. And remember that this Sunday we will have Brother Dylan Morgan back with us again. We're going to continue in revival with him. So if you have your gifts, lift them up. Father, we thank you for this time together. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your many blessings and your benefits. And we thank you, Lord, for jobs that you have blessed us with and ability to work. And we thank you for these gifts that we bring unto your house. I pray that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon your people that are faithful to you. In Jesus' name, Lord, cover us in your blood as we depart from this place. Keep us safe until we return again. Be a hedge about us to preserve us and protect us, keeping us free from all sickness, infirmity, and manner of disease. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you all for being here.